There's a thief, let me tell you, who wants to rip you off, who wants to steal you as though you were blind. You know, that, that, that's a, such an interesting expression. You ever hear that before? Like, to steal from the blind, you know? It is, it is to steal from someone without their knowledge, without their awareness that a theft has even taken place. There's, there's another expression that probably is familiar. It's like, it's like taking candy from a baby. And I've got to tell you that there is a thief on the loose who wants to steal from you as if you were blind, unaware, or as if you were as harmless or innocent as a baby. Thieves are, are by nature clever. They're, they're crafty, they're deceitful, they're deceptive. But uh, I've got to be honest with you. Uh, thank God not all thieves are created equal. Uh, some of them are a few fries short of a Happy Meal. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. I mean, there's a big difference between a jewel thief and uh, somebody who snatches a purse. But let me give you a couple of examples. Charles Taylor uh, from Wichita, Kansas, uh, was arrested for uh, robbing a shoe store at Knife Point. He made off with a, an expensive pair of hiking boots, tan, uh, size 10 and a half. Three months later, when he was on trial, uh, he rested his feet on top of the uh, attorney's uh, desk, the defense attorney's desk. Uh, guess what he was wearing? 10 and a half, tan hiking boots. The judge just shook his head. And he was found guilty and he was sent off to jail, shoeless and clueless. 18-year-old Charles Merriweather. Oh, what a name, Merriweather, right? He broke into a southern uh, Baltimore home. When he ransacked the home, he was so ag- angry that he only had found $10.50 in cash. The homeowner was there and he, and he said, how do you pay your bills? She says, by check. So he decided, well, write me a check. She says, who do I make the check out to? Charles Merriweather. And he said, and it better not bounce. You can't make this stuff up. This is, this is unbelievable. First photo, if you'd put that first photo up for me. Uh, this uh, masked hooded uh, bandit is trying to, with his crowbar, break into a building, and a police officer is on the other side of the door. Again, you, you, you just can't make this stuff up. Put that second photo up if you would. These two geniuses thought that a permanent marker would make a great disguise. Could you imagine the conversation when they were pulled into the station and arrested for attempted burglary? What the conversation may have been? I, I just hope that none of the officers fell over and hurt themselves. But let's face it, there, there is a thief that is on the loose and uh, he is crafty, and he is deceptive, and he is deadly times a thousand. I remember a song back in 1968, the Rolling Stones. They probably had more theological wisdom than some professors these days, but, but, but they wrote a song called Sympathy for the Devil. I don't know if you've ever heard it. One of the lines says basically this, I've been around a long, long year, stole many a man's soul and faith. Stole many a man's soul and faith. I want to tell you that that there is a thief on the loose who wants to steal your soul and your faith. He's been around since the beginning of human history. And uh, perhaps his his biggest deception, other than the original fall, is to convince the world that he doesn't exist. 
or to at least point to those who do believe in his existence as though we were somehow antiquated or not too bright. You know, we hear a lot today about uh, identity theft. Uh, every week there seems to be a, a new uh, data breach and, and financial information is, is stolen by these hackers, you know. But let, let me tell you this. You, you, you may have been a victim of identity theft. You may know somebody who has been a victim of identity theft. But the worst identity theft of all is when you're a child of God and the enemy, the thief, comes to steal your place in Christ. How, how does he do that? He whispers, if you really were a child of God, why is your life so messed up? If you really were a child of God, why isn't God answering your prayer? If you really are a son or a daughter of God, then why are you sick? And he tries to steal your identity in that particular manner. And I tell you what, it's not a question of, of if, it's a question of when. Because if the devil had the audacity to say to the Son of God, if you really are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread, then it's not a question of if it will happen, but when it will happen. Another type of theft these days that is, is particularly scary is home invasion. And I was thinking just yesterday probably was a good day for thieves to, to, to have home invasion when they're knocking on doors and saying, you know, kind of like trick-or-treat. But, but think about it. Your home is supposed to be your safe zone. But if you experience a home invasion, it, 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 it turns from a safe zone to a crime zone. And I'll tell you what, the parallel is obvious. There's a thief that wants, to, that wants to rip off your happy home, who wants to attack families and children, and wants to rob you of your joy and your peace and your hope and your future. And it's real. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that we're so glad that you're here today. And, and, and one of the reasons why this message is important to you is because we're calling people to be vigilant, to be, to be watchful, to be alert, that this is what the Bible calls us to in our, in our walk through this world. Uh, what I want you to know is that Jesus exposed the enemy, uh, his nature. He said, the thief has come but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But here's the contrast. I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. Today, to be on the loose wants to rob your faith, wants to rob your soul. But I want you to notice all of the warnings in the Bible, and there are many promises in the Bible, and there are many warnings in the Bible, but the warnings in the Bible are not to scare us. They're to prepare us. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says this, Be vigilant, be alert, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Peter gives us the warning, but he also gives us the application of what we're to do. He says, resist him standing firm in the faith. And I want you to know that faith is such an important issue. By the way, Peter was writing this advice. He's, 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 he's speaking advice to the church, but he's, he's talking out of a real-life experience. Because Peter was warned by Jesus. I don't know if you've ever read that, where, where Jesus says, Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Peter blew it big time because he shrugged off the warning. Don't shrug off the warning, but be alert, be vigilant. So how do we protect ourselves against this spiritual thief who wants to rob us of our joy and our peace and our homes and our, our marriages? 
How do, we, how do we guard against that? Well, well, let me tell you, deadbolts, shotguns, and life lock is not going to help against this kind of a thief. But faith that becomes mighty through God becomes invincible. Peter tells us that we start with being vigilant. We start by being alert and being watchful. That's why this message is so important. Because the enemy wants to rob you blind or wants to take advantage of you as though you were as innocent as a baby. So what's this look like in the life of a believer? And that's a great question. That's what we want to try to tackle this morning. David is an example of somebody who had many battles that he fought and victoriously in his life. And, and even though David's, David's enemies, his, his foes, were flesh and blood, th- there is a spiritual component, a spiritual element from which we can draw an application this morning for how we're to prepare ourselves to be alert, to be vigilant, and, and to be victorious. Uh, whenever, I, I think that we're going to look at Psalm chapter 3, but w- w- when we look at this psalm, I think what we're going to walk away with is this knowledge that even if everything around us is falling apart, then faith in the God who cannot fail will keep us together. Now, I want you to see this. In Psalm chapter 3, is a song that David wrote when... You talk about probably the worst experience in his life. When, when his happy home was attacked, we talk about home invasion and identity theft. Someone was trying to steal his position as the king of Israel. In Psalm chapter 3, we, we, we begin with, just let me give you a little bit of a background. Uh, it's eight verses, four parts. And Charles Spurgeon said, think of, think of Psalm chapter 8 as though, it was a bundle of arrows. Each of those verses are like arrows. And you know one of the reasons why that's so significant? That not only is because it's filled with courage and faith, but uh, I remember a movie years ago, uh, Spartacus. And uh, Spartacus, uh, at the end of the movie, was trying to keep the, the, the troops together. They were on the verge of, of defeat, and so he's trying to keep them together by unity. And so he calls one of the strong men, one of the biggest guys in his army, and he, says, he gives him an arrow, and he says, break the arrow. And he, and he snaps it like a twig. And then he hands him a bundle of arrows. And he said, go ahead, break the bundle of arrows. And he can't break it. The strong man can't break it. And so when we apply the truth that comes in this bundle of Scripture, a bundle of revelation, I believe that we can be victorious. Now, the title of the psalm is important. Not all the psalms have titles, but many of the psalms do have titles, and they are they, they are just as inspired as the verses themselves. And in addition to that, they also give us the backstory of the words that have been written. And, and so it gives us insight. So the title is A Psalm of David When He Fled from Absalom, His Son. David fled for his life from Absalom, His Son. And I want you to know, this was not, this was not a flight as, a, as an act of cowardice, but rather it was David's attempt to spare the city of bloodshed because a rebellion had broken out against David and his throne. I want you to imagine for for a minute the emotional distress and anguish that David must have experienced because his own flesh and blood has has essentially declared himself as king, and that that is as good as putting a a death warrant on David's head. Imagine imagine being, being... attacked by your own flesh and blood. 
We say, well, how, how, could, how could this be, be so successful? How could this rebellion start? Wasn't David loved by the, by the people of Israel? Yes, he was. But interestingly, here's the, here's the key. 2 Samuel 15, 6 says this, So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. I mean, you could just, you could just see the, the slittering serpent in the, in the background. Jesus said he's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, who is manipulating people in the background. And I believe with all my heart that because Absalom undermined the authority of his father, it says, so he won the hearts of the men of Israel. He basically said, look, my, my father doesn't care about you, but I care about you, and uh, I'm here for you. And as a result of that, the rebellion started. David escaped the treachery of his son, but not without a broken heart. In the middle of the night, David and a few of the, the members of his household fled. David didn't even have the time to put his sandals on, barefooted and, and weeping, and all of, the, all of the family weeping because of what was taking place. Interestingly, they take the same route that Jesus and his disciples took the night that Jesus was betrayed en route to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and he goes in that same route or, the, or route. And I want you to think about this with me for a minute. As David fled, you may know the backstory of this, but there was a man by the name of Shimei who was a disgruntled member of Saul's house. Saul used to be king. Saul died in battle. Many of the people blamed David for, for the demise of Saul and his kingdom, Right? And so here's a member of Saul's household who's disgruntled, and, and he now greets David, right? He's just, just ironically, he's there in the middle of the night, right? And he's throwing stones and dirt at, at David and his men, and he's, and he's, and he's laying curses at the king, and he's, and he's accusing David of, of, of deserving everything that's happening to him right now. And, and to show you the heart of David, right, uh, one of David's men, right, probably has his hand right on his sword at that moment and says, why should this dog curse my Lord the King? Just give me the word, David, and I'll take off his head. And he would have. But David says, let him alone. He says, who knows, but that God may have compassion upon me in my distress and turn this out into a blessing and show me good. This is why this is so important, because it shows us that in the midst of this psalm, David's heart is fixed on God. Let me tell you something. When your heart is fixed on God and you're trusting in God, then even though everything around you is falling apart, your, your belief in that God cannot fail will keep you from falling apart. So verse 1 says this, Lord, how are they increased who trouble me? Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. It's amazing how quickly the rebellion spread throughout the, the people of, of, of Israel and throughout Jerusalem. I tell you what, of all of the hurtful uh, accusations, of, of all of the words that could have possibly wounded David, maybe this, there is no help for him in God. God's not going to be your help. God's not going to come through for you, David. David, God's abandoned you. David, God has forsaken you. That, 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 that word is, and, and to believe that, to embrace that is so painful. 
This is what Charles Spurgeon wrote about this verse. He said, of all the temptations that ascend from hell and all the trials on earth could be pressed together, they could not make a trial so terrible as the one contained in this verse. When I read that, I said to myself, is that, is that true? Could, could that be true? And maybe what Spurgeon had in mind, and maybe even what David had in mind, was a prophetic look at what Jesus would endure for us. Not only the physical pain at the cross, but the emotional distress that Jesus went through. Remember, at the cross, they wagged their heads at him. They railed on him. And they said things like, you trusted in God now? Now let God save you. There's no help for you in God. You know, some of you might remember Seinfeld when, when the soup Nazis said, no soup for you, you know? I could, just, I could just hear, you know, people saying, no help for you, and hurt so much. I tell you what, David was not forsaken of God. He was not abandoned by God, but Jesus was. Jesus was forsaken at the cross, not for himself, but for us, so that we might be eternally redeemed. Verse 2 says, many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God, but you. I love that, but. It's one of the, it's one of the greatest words in the Bible. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory in the one who lifts my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. When I was a kid living in Brooklyn, we didn't have snowball fights. We had snowball wars. I'm telling you, like one block fought against the other block. And every kid on that block, no matter how old, from 18 to 8, was involved in the war. We would, we would grab the, the uh, lids off of the steel garbage pails, and the handle would be right in the middle, and it would make an, an awesome shield, a round little shield, right? But you couldn't protect yourself completely. If you blocked your head, they'd get your feet. If they blocked, you blocked your, your legs, they'd get your head. But the kind of shield that David's talking about here is a bulwark. It is a, it is a wall of protection around and about on every particular side. And David is saying, God is my shield on every single side. They may say there's no help for me in God, but God is my help. Kathy was telling me, my wife was telling me this very interesting story this week. There was a 12-year-old girl in Ethiopia who was being assaulted by, by a group of men. Horrible. And these three African lions came from, seemingly from nowhere. These three African lions came and chased the men away, and they stood as guards over this little girl until help came. Now, some of the people have tried to explain that away. They said, well, her cries may have sounded like her cries may have sounded like uh, a lion cub, and therefore the lions were, were, were protecting a lion cub. Not, I don't believe that for a minute. I believe, that, I believe that God moved upon those lions to become that wall of protection for that little girl. God is an everlasting help to those who are in trouble, an ever-present help. And I, I believe that God is faithful. When we cry out to him, Jesus said, how much more will your heavenly father respond to those who cry out to him day and night? So if you're here this morning and you are finding yourself, listen, in a difficult place, a difficult spot in your life, I want you to know that God is not deaf to your cries. Verse 5 says, I lay down and slept. 
I awoke for the Lord sustained me. I'll not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. I will not be afraid. I lay down and slept and I awoke. Now you would naturally think, David, this is the worst day of your life. How could you, how could you find rest? How could you sleep? Now remember, his sweet sleep that he's talking about here is not happening on his bed in his palace. It's probably happening in the open field on the very worst day of his life. But he was able to physically enter into rest because his heart and his mind was physically or spiritually in a place of rest, trusting in the Lord. Faith believes that, that God's grace is sufficient for us in every circumstance. I, I love that phrase, I will not be afraid. Notice it's an affirmation of the will. The time for you and I to say, I'm not going to let fear get the best of me. I am not going to be afraid is before things go south. It's before, it's before you enter into a trial or, or time of tribulation. It is the, the mindset of the heart that says, I will not be afraid. That's confidence. And in verse 7, David begins to pray. And he says, Arise, O Lord, rescue me, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. What I want you to see is this, that in David's cry to the Lord for rescue, that you break the teeth of the wicked. Let me tell you, when, when a lion has had his teeth pulled out, he cannot hurt you. And Satan has been defeated by Jesus Christ. This is the purpose, or one of the main purposes why Jesus came, that he might destroy the works of darkness, that he might defeat the wicked one. And in so doing, he has made a show of them openly in his tribe or in his cross. And I want you to know that that's good news, that that. Death has been defeated. The grave has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. Every enemy of, of humankind has been defeated, and that by Jesus Christ. So he has called us to not win the victory. He's called us to stand in the victory. Having done all to stand, we're to stand therefore. So the call is to be awake, be alert, be vigilant, be watchful, because Jesus has already won the victory. And the Bible says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. I tell you, I, I'll never forget, when I was about nine years old, my uncle had given me a brand new uh, baseball glove. And, and we were playing in a schoolyard with a couple of the, uh, friends on our block. We were playing softball. And, and we had finished playing softball there in the schoolyard, right? And, and so we, we were on our way back home, and we, we went around the fence, and, and we're going down the block, and suddenly I realized, I, dummy, I forgot my baseball glove. So I started to go back, but there was a, a couple of kids who noticed that I left my glove there, and they were just waiting for me to leave so they could snatch it up. So when they saw me coming, they grabbed the glove, and they ran through. There was a slit in the fence. along. Uh, this was right alongside of the BQE, and uh, they were able to, to just get away. By the time I got to that hole in the fence, they were gone. And, man, I hated getting ripped off that brand-new glove. Now, fast forward about five Five or six years later, I'm about maybe 14, 15 years of age. My father had a butcher shop in Brooklyn, in East New York. 
And uh, we used to have a big old bike that, that I used to use to deliver the orders. It belonged to the store. And it had a big old wagon, uh, big old um, basket in the front to put the packages of meat. Maybe some of you older folks have seen that in the past. You know what it's like. And uh, we used to lean it up against uh, the storefront window. It was like partly uh, part glass and, and, and the other part was solid. We used to just lean it up against the against the glass. And I'm in, inside the store. It was a Saturday. It was a summer. It was a beautiful day. And all of a sudden, I hear the streak uh, of, of uh, glass being scratched. And this kid jumps on the bike, and, he, and he's paddling off. He's riding off now on, on the bike. And I run out. And I start to chase him. And he's about probably about half a block, maybe three-quarters of a block in front of me. But I'm not giving up. I'm running after this kid. And we must, I must have ran for about maybe four to five blocks until he finally, he was looking back at me, see if I was coming, and I'm coming at him. I'm not giving up. He drops the bike, and he cuts out. Now, I'm not interested in him. I'm interested in the bike. So I get the bike, and I start to, to ride the bike back to the store. Right Now, I get to the block where, where my dad's butcher shop was. A number of the customers that came out to see what was going on a number of the store owners had, had heard that a ruckus was going on, and they came out. I tell you what, I'm riding that bike back, and it was like a ticker tape parade. I, I'm telling you, there were, there were people out there. They were clapping. People were cheering, high-fiving. It was like such an, a, 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 an awesome moment. But the greatest moment of all was when I got into the store, and my dad said, son, I'm just so proud of you. I want you to know your heavenly father doesn't want you to get ripped off. He wants you to be alert, to be vigilant, to be prepared. He's won the victory, but he's called us to stand. And having done all to stand, we're to stand, therefore, in the victory that is in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? One of the reasons why this message is so important is because there is a thief on the loose. The sentence of death has already been passed, but the execution of that has not yet taken place. And so, and so you say, well, why did God leave the devil in this world? Well, well, one of the things that's taking place is the development of his church, development of our faith, so that we could exercise the authority that Christ has given to us in his name. Because when everything around us is seemingly falling apart, but we have faith in the God who cannot fail, not only will we be kept, but we bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Now, let me just kind of close with this story. It's a true story. Uh, at 1 o'clock in the morning, the telephone rang in the home of Leo Winters, a highly acclaimed Chicago physician. The caller from the hospital said that a young boy had been tra tragically mangled in an, in an accident. And that Dr. Winter's hands probably were the only ones that could save this boy's life. The quickest route to the hospital took the doctor through a dangerous part of South Chicago. But since it was so critical, he decided to take a chance. And driving through the worst part of Chicago, as he, as he stopped at a red light, a man in a gray hat, dirty flannel shirt, jerked open the door, pulled him out of his seat and screamed, give me your car. Winters tried to explain that he was a doctor in an emergency call, but the thief didn't want to hear about it. He jumped in the car and he sped off. And for the next 45 minutes, the doctor was trying to get a ride to the hospital. An hour later, 
He walks into the hospital, rushes over to the nurse's station, and, and the nurse says, I'm sorry, doctor, it's too late. The boy died about 30 minutes ago. But his, his, his father's in the chapel, and he's really broken up, and we'd love to probably ask you why you didn't come. So he rushes down into the chapel, and, and, and there at the altar, in tears, is a, a man with a gray hat and a dirty flannel shirt, who when he looks at the doctor through his blurred eyes, realizes the horrific, horrific mistake he has made. He has pushed away the only person that could have saved his son. Now, let me say this, and this is an absolute true story, but let me say this. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, can I plead with you? Please do not push away the only person who was sent to rescue you. Please do not not carjack your own salvation by rejecting the only Savior that God has provided, for there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. For those of you who are here this morning and, and you're, you're followers of Jesus and, and you're just going through something, can, can I tell you that faith is so important? You, you know, I mean, th- that is the emphasis of this message is that faith is important. So you say to me, all right, Pastor, how, how do I increase my faith? Well, the disciples asked Jesus the same question, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus said, it's not the, the amount of faith, it's the quality of your faith that counts. So how can I... How can I increase the quality of my faith? Well, faith comes one way. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes through the Word of God. The more you know, the more you apply, the more you search, the more you read, the more you meditate, the more you study, you will be like Psalm chapter 1 says, you will be like a tree planted by the waters. Its leaf will not wither. You will bring forth fruit in season. The way that we grow up in Christ, and, and, and this is what is so important about it, it is, it is not only informational, it is transformational. You will be changed. You will be made like unto the Son of God the more that you dive into the Word of God. I just want to give you, for, if you're here this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. I'm going to pray in just a moment, and we're going we're gonna, to uh, close in prayer, and we're going to... Uh, Ask the worship team to come on back now. And, but, but if you're here this morning, and, and, and I don't want you to push away the only, the only one who can, who can possibly save you. It's not by our achievement. It's, it's not by our works of righteousness. It is only through the accomplishment of Jesus Christ. By grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Would you pray with me? If that applies to you this morning and you want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, the Savior of your heart, just have a conversation with Jesus right now, just silently right now where you are. And just say something like this, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you're my Savior. I receive you and all that you accomplished at the cross. I give my life to you to live for you. So, Father, I just pray for anyone who may have made that confession in their hearts right now. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, 
the Lord Jesus, that God has raised him from the dead, you too shall be saved. So Father, I just pray for um, brothers and sisters in this house this morning. The enemy's tried to rob us. The enemy has tried to steal from us, but Jesus Christ has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. I pray, Lord God, that you will turn the page today in so many people's lives who need to discover that being vigilant and being watchful is, is what they need to do to resist the enemy and he will flee from us. So Lord, bless each and every person that's here this morning in a special way. As we worship you, Lord God, just release the Holy Spirit in a fresh way to bring his presence into our lives. Amen.